This podcast is brought to you by Leo Batari, the author of a new book entitled, What Anyone Can Do. Please listen to podcast number 749, where Greg and Leo speak about the power of surrounding yourself with the right people in your life. As Leo points out in today's fragmented, social media-driven world, it's become harder to connect with people on a personal level. Yet, this is precisely what's needed. Please join Greg and Leo in this lively podcast, number 749, where Leo reveals how to attain what you want in life. If you want more information about author Leo Batari, please visit www.leobatari, spelt B-O-T-T-A-R-Y, dot com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today joining me from Maryland is Amy Jen Zhu. And Amy Jensu is the author of a brand new Harvard Business Review book called The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. Good day to you, Amy. How are you doing? Hello, Greg. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And we've had many other Harvard Business Review um, published books as well. And we're happy to have you on. And for my listeners, if you want to learn more about the book, just go to theleaderyouwanttobe.com. There you will find a video, you will find more information. Also, uh, Jamie Linsu is the partner in a firm called Pervis Partners, and you can actually get to the website there as well. Um, she also has another book called Own the Room, which is co-authored um, by, um, what's the person's name? Mr. Wilkins, is it? Uh, Muriel Wilkins. Yeah. Muriel Wilkins. Muriel Wilkins. So we will put links at our blog for both of these books. Um, but today we're going to be speaking about the leader you want to be. Um, so let me tell the listeners just a little bit about you, Amy. Um, for almost two decades, Amy has worked as the C- with CEO executives, rising stars in organizations to sustain and scale their highest and best, and then lead organizational change and transformation. She's a seasoned coach for industries such as biotech, private equity, software technology, and media. And Amy understands the excitement and challenges of the fast-paced business out there to make a difference in the world. Her new book, The Leader in You, that we're going to be talking about, The Leader You Want to Be, I should say, The Five Essential Principles to Bringing Out Your Best Self, um, is out now, and we're going to put a link to Amazon to that. As I mentioned, she also co-authored of The Washington Boast, the best-selling book, Own the Room, um, she's a frequent contributor to harvardbusinessreview.org and has been interviewed by media outlets, including Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Sprint Magazine, Newswire.fm. And she holds degrees from Harvard in business, as well as a BA in psychology from Stanford University, graduating both with honors and distinctions. Um, she also has a background in integral coaching yoga, and Eastern philosophies, which kind of bring a unique impact to the whole person approach to executive development. Well, Amy, pleasure having you on the show. And you have a very kind of similar background to me, which 
I really love because I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology myself and a business degree, a business degree background, the same thing. So it's a kind of unique thing that you bring to the marketplace. And, you know, in this book, the leader that you want to be, uh, you introduce it with the tale of two leaders. Um, which would you be, you say, question mark, which leader would you be? Are you going to be leader A or are you going to be leader B? And you speak about leader A and leader B. And the distinctions between them really are um, not, I mean, I don't think so earth-shaking, but the point is, is people know that this is the path they're going down. The key is how do I actually transform myself to become the better leader. And what are the differences between these two leaders that you talk about? Greg, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, leader A and leader B, as you said, is something I think most everyone can identify with um, and is not news news, but my hope was to give language to something that we all experience every day. So on the one hand, there are days where you wake up and you're in leader A mode, and you feel that part of yourself that can hold a broader perspective. You're not resisting the moment. You're just riding the wave of life with a little more ease and effectiveness and resilience. Um, and then leader B mode, in its opposite contrast, is that part of ourselves where, you know, sometimes you even wake up in the morning and say, wow, I'm waking up on the wrong side of the bed, and I'm holding a narrower lens on life, and I feel like I'm resisting the moment. Um, and I just react with a little less effectiveness and not my best self. And so, as you mentioned, Greg, I think the question becomes, which mode, leader A or leader B, is your center of gravity? What's the ratio with which you can hold A versus B? And when you get knocked off center, how quickly can you bring yourself back? Yeah, and it is, that's what this book is about. It's about the principles for bringing your best out every day. And that is really, you know, being leader A um, and not falling into the traps of B. But leader B, um, what is the cost, not only to the human capital, but also the cost to organizations for having organizations that are being led by leader Bs versus leader As? I think, Greg, when we look at a lot of the research coming out on employee engagement, and just how disengaged and disenfranchised folks are feeling out in organizations, a lot of it can be pinned back to uh, the folks that are leading the organization and not having great managers. And, you know, I think one of the things we often underestimate is how much our worst day, or when we're not being our best self, how that creates a ripple effect and really impacts a lot of other people. And so when organizations are being led by many folks in leader B mode, under reaction, under stress, under overwhelm, uh, creating fire drills for other people, you really see that in the results in employee engagement scores. Yeah, so it certainly is something that, you know, when you look at, you know, being a leader A versus a leader B, you want to be the leader A, the person who is focused, who's on purpose, who knows their why, who has a direction, who can communicate well, can do all of those things that support the team. Now, given the climate of today's business, you know, it's marked by velocity, you say in the bar, book, and uh, ferocity. How do we create and sustain the conditions that support 
A leader types so that they don't slip into the B type leader as a result of the pressures of just, you know, being in the work world today, mid-management, upper management, whatever it might be, you know, how do we help them prevent that? I think prevention has to start first with bringing ourselves some self-compassion and cutting ourselves a break. So number one, this problem of feeling pressure and time starved is pervasive. And to recognize that every day, you know, Greg, you may be hearing from your clients as well, just never enough hours in the day. There's so many more people and types of people I need to work with. I feel the pressure to succeed. So number one, just some compassion towards self. And then number two, recognize that even on our worst day or when our game's been thrown off, that at any moment you can bring yourself back in the driver's seat. And really that's my hope with the five principles is that as long as we preserve some self-compassion, some self-awareness, and a sense of choice and agency, that we can come back to ourselves over and over again and hit the reboot button at any time. Well, and that leads us to the five principles because it are the it is the five essential principles for bringing out your best self every day that are really a core to this book. And you've identified the five essential pr- principles that are common to effective leadership um, in any context. If you would, for the listeners, what are the five P's and why should these leaders that are listening today understand the importance of the principles and then applying those principles not only to themselves but also to everybody else that's working in their teams or with inside the company. The five P's, Greg, were constructed to try to address some of the challenges that we just mentioned. So the first two principles address our time, our focus, and our energy. So the first P is purpose. How do we reset our compass and help ourselves and help others define purpose as a function of our passion and our contribution. How do we prioritize our work in a way so that we are both offering our highest and best use to the organization and at the same time increasing our motivation and satisfaction at the same time? So that's what really principle number one is all about. And then principle number two follows right along to say, even when we know our priorities, even when we know what matters most and we want to prioritize and focus that, how do we create processes? How do we reboot our personal operating system so that our calendar, our time management, the way we protect time and energy allow us to actually hit that sweet spot of purpose? The third principle then addresses the challenges of people, that The reality of it is, no matter how effective you are or how strong of a player you are, you will always be capped by your own capacity. And so the third principle of people is that you raise your game as you raise the game of others. So how do you build that A team? How do you build that great network of support and elicit that group's help to help you go farther versus just faster? And then the last two principles really focus on the inner world of the leader and the manager and the professional. Um, And Greg, I love your background in spiritual psychology because we know even when we're effective on the outside, that that doesn't necessarily mean we feel joy and satisfaction on the inside. So the last two principles really focus on this inner world piece with presence and how do we self-regulate and tolerate a larger range of emotions so that we don't scratch the itch. And then the final principle of peace, 
how do we loosen the grip of that mean voice in our own heads and that high need for control and be able to ride the wave with a little more ease? Well, I really appreciate the fact that you bring in some of these Eastern philosophies uh, through yoga and your other understandings of uh, integrated um, uh, ITP, even it sounds like. But the, and, and that is a way for people to be at peace and presence. Um, and it's so important. You know, and in your chapter on what gets in the way, you call it the pitfalls of doing. Um, mm-hmm. We're all doing beings or we're being doing, um, you know, you speak about the challenges we all face, which it doesn't matter who it is, if you're a mom or your dad or you're, you're, you're playing these roles that you have. Um, you state that these challenges fall into four general categories. Um, if you would, for the listeners, what are the challenges we, that we face and, and what are those categories of those challenges? I think as we continue to look at the challenges of time, team, and the tensions we feel within ourselves, um, the four pitfalls, as you mentioned, Greg, are really coping mechanisms. So they start off as a good thing. Like if I just behave that way or engage or respond that way, I'll get some temporary anxiety relief. But the problem is they tend to lead us right into a pitfall. And the four pitfalls are the first is just do more. And the assumption here is that if I just do more and I take on more, then somehow I'll be okay and add value. And that's really a faulty assumption. And the second pitfall is just do it now. And the faulty assumption there is that if I just let adrenaline and stress run the show and I handle everything as if it's a fire drill, then somehow the list of never-ending to-dos will come to an end. And then we still end up in a spot where we realize the to-do list is still going. And then the third pitfall is just do it myself. And the faulty assumption here is that in the face of uncertainty or the need for high control or the fact that you could do something better or faster than someone else means that you should do it yourself. Um, And again, we don't elicit the support and help of others. And then the final pitfall is just do it later with the assumption being that I can keep putting off my own life. I can keep putting off my own health and joy and that others' agendas should take priority, and I'll just do it later. And the faulty assumption there is that we actually never get around to prioritizing ourselves. So my hope is that at any moment, we can recognize we're in a pitfall, again, with compassion, transform it, and instead say, wait a minute, I can just do more when it adds value instead of being focused on volume. I can just do it now if I've assessed that this task does require a certain sense of urgency. And I see that distinction from emergency. Or I choose to do something myself when in fact it's my highest and best use and it gives me life energy. And then finally, I'll just do it later and instead now we learn to say gracious no's to other people or other things and we begin to take care of ourselves. It is a great way to actually evaluate how your emotions are running Um, I love the way you put it because, you know, um, a lot of times if you can be observer of self, right, you look above yourself and look at it. Like I tell people, hey, if a camera was following every you every day and you turn that camera on at the end of the day and you watch the video back, you know, what portions of that could you change? Right. Mm -hmm. What patterns have you gotten into that literally are serving you or the patterns that aren't serving you? 
right? Yes, and I it, love that. And I think if people did that, they would see a lot of things they're doing, which is not of service to them. And they do some things that are of service to them, but many, you know, they're not doing the self-nurturing and care part. And that leads us to this power of purpose, reset your compass. You tell a great story about Kate. You actually start a lot of your chapters with stories about people that were your clients or people that you know. And you set the stage for our listeners, if you would, by telling Kate's story and why knowing our purpose is really so important. I used to actually teach a course on defining your purpose. Mm. Yeah, it's so easy to feel like we've left the driver's seat. And that's really the crux of the Kate story where Kate was a client who really wonderful person, but very overwhelmed at work. She had taken on a larger role and was feeling like she was drowning. And so she uh, came to coaching, wanting to figure out how to get herself out of the day-to-day mire and grind. And when I met Kate, I could really see, Greg, you could see the exhaustion and almost this professional mask she was wearing. I could just wonder how long can she keep this mask on? And so Kate, I use Kate's story because sometimes you work with a client who shares something with you that stays with you for years. And I'll never forget this magic moment when Kate came to one of our coaching sessions and she looked just a little different. She had more of like a glimmer in her eye. And she said to me, you know, Amy, I woke up this morning and I realized that I'm always chopping wood. And this very vibrant picture of Kate chopping wood has stuck with me for so long where she said she just realized that her habit, as you mentioned, if she had turned on the camera and watched herself, that she was constantly chopping wood. When she was under stress, she just chopped more wood. And there was a point where she didn't even know why she was chopping the wood or if she should even be chopping wood at all. And I just thought it was such a great metaphor and analogy. And so much of the work with Kate is embodied in that chapter on purpose around how do we make purpose concrete and how did Kate then come to discover, how do I think about my contributions in my role? How do I think about my value add? Um, And then also what was giving her juice? So what juices us 10 years ago or gives us energy 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, or even a year ago is very different. So we need to stay connected to what inspires us. Well, the power of purpose and the power of your why has been driven home, you know, by many different authors. And I think The important part here is to take a little bit of time, set it aside, and as you say, reset your compass, define your purpose, and make sure you're in alignment with your purpose, that your values are in alignment as well. And Mm -hmm. that is a, a certain way for you to define that the things that you do every day are in alignment with that purpose, because if they're in alignment, all these to do's that you have to do is leading you toward that greater purpose you have in life. Now, you speak about the power of process and what we need is to design a process that fits us. Um, Can you define what you mean by process and how people can utilize processes to become this better A leader? Process are things like our structures, our rituals, our processes that we use each day, they're almost like a safety net. Um, I had a client once say, or they're almost like hygiene that we want to make sure we pay attention to. And so the first place to examine is how one manages their calendar. So while purpose can sound very conceptual, the question becomes if we were to now track and analyze your calendar, 
how well are you protecting your time and energy for those things that give you energy and that make a difference and fulfill your purpose? And so that particular chapter on process really looks at hard nuts and bolts tactics and ways to protect time and energy. So everything from do you know your power hours? So Greg, when is your thinking the clearest and most focused and is that protected on your calendar? Um, do you have home zones and time zones? so that when you are working from home in an evening or a weekend, as many professionals need to, that they're boundaried to certain locations or certain times so that work and life don't bleed into each other. So that chapter on purpose is really everything I've learned over the last two decades and observing thousands of different professionals and all the interesting techniques that folks use. And I tried to pick the best of for that particular chapter. And you did. You loaded that chapter with a lot of different techniques that people could use to develop a process that would work for them. And I, I thought it was excellently done. The other thing you might want to consider, because we were talking about it, is have a couple of PDF downloads for listeners that they might be able to get at some point in the future about mm-hmm. some of those techniques, because you have some really good ones in there, a few that I hadn't even heard of. Um, yeah. So. I can appreciate this chapter that you have on the power of people um, very much so. What can you tell our listeners about learning how to trust themselves and others so that they can delegate more work effectively and not get caught up in micromanagement and worry and frustration that if they don't do the job, the job's not going to be done right? That is so hard, right? Releasing the grip and uh, increasing our trust in others. So number one, I do think a fundamental mindset shift has to happen where I think early in our careers, we're so focused on, I want to raise my game. And then there's a point where you realize, I raise my game by raising the game of others and we all rise together. So I think it's important to think about not only your purpose, but what's the purpose of each member of your team. So where are they adding the most value? Where can they? What can they take off your plate and provide additional leverage? Where can you provide additional empowerment? And trust is a funny thing. You know, I think when it comes to delegation, we need to look at, do I trust this person to follow through on the tasks um, and things that I have delegated? Do I trust this person's judgment so that I can go further and delegate decision-making rights to these folks? And then do I trust ultimately for folks to represent myself or my team or my function? And so those are questions you can ask yourself and then actually help people to grow in those ways so that you can help them rise and help yourself rise as well. Well, it is a, you know, the power of people, the people you surround yourself, the teams that you build. We just had uh, Whitney Johnson on here, you know, building the A-team. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you looked at the S-curve, right, which is the learning curve and jumping from one thing to the next and how important it is to have senior people helping other people along, just the wisdom of that. And I think you have to trust to do that, right? You have to say, okay, Maybe I, I don't know as much, but I can learn from this other person. So the collaboration in that environment is so important. And the willingness to let go and the willingness to collaborate uh, in a team setting is so important. And you have some tips for staying present and focused. I know I do yoga four to five times a week. Um, it's my, I, 
I tell everyone it's the thing that keeps me alive. Can you tell our listeners about being more grounded in the importance to the leader and not only that leader being grounded, but using those same skills with his or her team to help them become more grounded and focused? I think I love the word you're using here, Greg, of grounded. And again, a big distinction between leader A and leader B is this idea of where's your center of gravity? And so the word gravity, the word grounding means that we're settled more deeply within ourselves. So uh, the presence chapter uh, has things like yoga, as you mentioned, finding that practice that really brings you to center quickly um, is really important. So things like um, in real time, if you need a quick grounding technique, we can always anchor in our breath. We can uh, bring focus to even how we're sitting. Even right now, I'm noticing, you know, my hands on the table. So just getting out of our heads and coming back to our bodies and saying, how do I ground and come to center? Uh, one of my favorite techniques in the book uh, that folks can use is a type of yogic breathing called the four, seven, eight breathing, where you inhale for a count of four, you hold your breath for seven, and you exhale for eight. And the whole thing maybe takes, you know, 60 seconds to do two rounds. So as a leader or manager, you can use that as you're walking down the hall to settle yourself before walking into a meeting or presenting, or it's the type of thing that you could even share with your team and just have everyone take a moment to get centered before a meeting begins. It's, you know, there's so many things that people can do, even to the point of, you know, just doing some stretching before mm -hmm. a meeting, um, uh, getting up, as you said, in breathing techniques, as you said, taking um, one of your colleagues and instead of sitting in a room, go walk around the building, go outside, right. you know, do yeah. something in nature, get back in touch with that, go to a local park or walk wherever you can, but do something that's physical because actually when you're in nature, you actually get more of that peace and presence and focusing. Now to kind of round up this in your chapter on the power of peace, you give the reader this acronym called ACT. And so I want you to tell them what the acronym is and how we can bring more peace into our lives to be this better leader that we're trying to become. In other words, this A leader versus this B leader. The acronym ACT, you know, as I thought about what's it take to come to some peace on the inside, even when the world around me swirling and what have I observed in leaders that I've worked with? And so the acronym ACT is a reminder to the A in ACT is um, to accept. How do we accept the moment, no matter how challenging it is? Um, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, she has this wonderful quote called Embrace the Suck. So it's this idea that whether um, life brings you challenge or brings you opportunity, how do you accept what's happening? So that's the first part of ACT. And then the C in ACT is um, contentment. How do we... Uh, feel a greater contentment in our life, hold gratitude. So whatever comes our way, we're holding a broader space for it. And then the T in ACT is trust. How do we trust ourselves and remember that as leaders and professionals, you've been here many times before, you've gotten up and over learning curves before. And so it's time to be okay and, and hold a greater trust in ourselves. Most definitely. And, you know, Amy, I happened to pick up 
this little book this morning that I read from called The Dalai Lama, The Essential Wisdom. Mm. I had one uh, thought in here. He says, I think human beings are the superior sentient beings on this planet. Humans have the potential not only to create happy lives for themselves, but also to help other beings. We have a natural creative ability, and it is very important to realize this. I think your whole book is really about helping others and help yourself to understand that you have the power within to not only move yourself to new heights, but others as well. Um, not only in the workplace, but at your home, uh, potentially at any other events that you're at. By holding your presence in peace, holding that energy, being grateful for what you've been given, and move your life forward with that peace and that presence. Um, for my listeners, we've been on with Jamie Genzu, and the book is The Leader You Want to Be, The Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out your best self every day. We're going to put a link to that book. We're also going to put a link to her consulting website as well, as well as the book website. Is there any parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our listeners, Amy? Greg, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. And I love your mission to help transform people and to help people improve every facet of their life. And so I feel like this was just a chance uh, you know, for both of us to serve uh, a shared mission in that. So thank you. Yep. We are here to help and serve whatever we can do and also have impart knowledge and wisdom to others to use that knowledge and wisdom to make their lives better. Um, and that is the mission of Inside Personal Growth. And it's obviously the mission of your book as well. And I always appreciate authors on that come with that perspective that you're just not all about business because business is really personal. It's all about who you are and what you bring to the table. And I'm glad that you realize that and you bring that essence to everything that you do. Um, blessings to you and everything that you're doing uh, for those that come in contact with you, Amy. And thanks for Likewise. writing such a great book. Thank you. Thanks so much, Greg. This podcast is brought to you by Whitney Johnson, the author of a new Harvard Business Review book entitled Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths, and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. Please listen to podcast number 751, where Whitney and Greg discuss the importance of building a team who are excited to continually be learning and propel their careers along the S-curve, as she explains it. Better morale and higher performance happen through learning states, Whitney. The best bosses know this, and they know how to make it happen. Please join Whitney and Greg on podcast number 751 for this very engaging and informative podcast about building an A-team. For more information about Whitney and her new book, please visit www.whitneyjohnson.com. Thanks for listening.